I'm TL, and I'll be your host for the next hour. Each week at Mass, we say those words, I believe. But our belief has implications on the way we live our life the rest of the week. We explore those implications together, right here on Outside the Walls. Well, Wednesday, we hit Ash Wednesday and enter into the Lenten season. And we, with Christ, turn our attention towards the cross. It's coming. It's inevitable. It's right there out in front of us, just as it was for him. And all of the readings in the Mass turn in that direction, and we see Christ becoming much more methodical and intentional about these actions, knowing that they are leading him directly to the cross and through that to our redemption. And, you know, I I feel a lot of times like life just happens to us, right? You get up, you go to work, you get the kids ready, you you do the things that you have to do, you take care of taxes, and, and, you know, one day just falls after the next, and it can be very easy to just let life happen and to not take that time to be intentional about where it's leading us. Well, Lent gives us this opportunity. It gives us the opportunity to scale things back, uh, if we make that choice, to scale things back, to examine our appetites and our trajectory, and refocus and direct our lives back toward the cross, both uh, back towards centering ourselves on the Paschal mystery and, and appropriating all that uh, that the grace that Christ wants to give us, but also to point our lives toward our own cross, towards self-denial, towards redirecting our attention and our focus on God's will and saying, as Christ did in the Garden of Gethsemane, nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And so Lent, I, I always have, you know, mixed feelings about Lent because I need Lent. Uh, and I need Lent more than I really want to need Lent. I need Lent because life gets hectic and I get lazy, right? I, I let my appetites control things. Oh, you, you're a little bit hungry? Well, I'll go grab a snack, right? Well, here we are entering into this time where we become more aware of our appetites, particularly and specifically because we begin to deny them. We say, you know what? I'm only going to have one cup of coffee a day. Well, that would be just about murder for me. I'm not sure that I'm actually going to do that. But all of a sudden, you begin to realize, how many cups of coffee a day am I drinking? How much am I depending on these things that... God wants to say, you know, I would rather you be grumpy today because you haven't had enough coffee and that make you come and focus on me and spend extra time in prayer and say, you know what? I can't make it through this day and I don't have my normal coping mechanisms. I need the grace of God. This is really the purpose of these Lenten observances. The reason that we give things up for Lent is not because these things are bad and we're just awful people and so we should give them up. It is so that we can really begin to foster a desire for the thing that really matters. 
so that we can begin to have a hunger for the things that truly satisfy, right? One of the things we do with our kids, every Lent, you get to pick what it is, child, that you're giving up for Lent, but everybody's giving up dessert. Um, And because we know that they like dessert, they ask for dessert all the time. And so we know that that's a safe thing that we can begin to show them in little ways uh, oh, well, we don't, we don't do dessert right now because we are learning to desire God. We're learning to desire things that are sweeter and last longer and are more satisfying. And, uh, and so try to give them that sense in, in a way that they understand it. But I, I think a lot of times for me as a dad, that becomes too easy. I can say, oh, well, yeah, this is how we're going to do it. And I don't take the time to really give them the thing that replaces it. How do I foster in them a hunger and a desire for the things of God? And, and really, honestly, in looking at that and realizing that I don't do that well, I think I also can look at this and say, I need in myself to recognize that Lent is about fostering desire for things that matter, right? It's not about white-knuckling it through it to say, hey, look how I succeeded at my Lenten observance. It's to say, I need God more than I know, and I've been ignoring it for a while, and I've been able to to really kind of cover over it for a while. But here and today, as I march onward towards Easter, as I march onward toward Good Friday, I must have the graces of the sacraments and the presence, the accompanying presence of the Holy Spirit. I must have it today if I'm going to make it through. And so this Lenten observance really directs us and drives us towards a deeper participation in the Paschal mystery. And that's what we're going to be talking about today. We have uh, with us Christopher Karstens. He's got a brand new book with Sophia Institute Press called A Devotional Journey into the Easter mystery. And we're going to unpack this a little bit. What does it mean for us to participate in this Paschal mystery, in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ? You know, we can look at this in a charismatic way and maybe even in a purely uh, historical way, but we are invited through this practice of Lent to do something much more than merely commemorate a long past historic event. We are invited, you and I, to embrace this mystery, to participate in this mystery, to let our lives be impacted and affected and saturated by this mystery as we enter into our own death of self-denial and toward the resurrection into new life to become sharers in the divine nature. Don't go anywhere. There is so much conversation to come. It's going to be a great episode. Why don't you join us over on social media? Be a part of that ongoing conversation. Facebook.com slash Step Outside the Walls. On Twitter, the handle's at Outside the Walls. Tell me what you're giving up for Lent. And there's much more to come right after this. You're listening to Outside the Walls with TL. Welcome back to Outside the Walls, where we explore the implications of our belief on our daily life. I'm your host, T.L. 
And we are coming up on the season of Lent. It seems like Christmas is just now over. And yet here we are entering into the next mystery, the next liturgical season, where we take some time to uh, to observe our lives in light of what Christ calls us to. You've heard on the show before I talk about Advent is very much uh, a sense of looking around and seeing all that is uh, is wrong with the world, seeing that that there is injustice and seeing that things are uh, not quite, you know, up to what they were created to be. And we can look at the world and say, all is not right with the world. And yet, um, and yet the answer to that is in the incarnation. And so in Lent, we have a similar thing where we look around and we say, all is not right with me. I see the places where I fall short. I see the things that I need to do uh, to to live in the grace that's given to me. And so all's not right with me, and yet the answer to that is found in the Paschal Mystery, is found in the, uh, the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so here we are, we're entering into this season, and sometimes it can become a little bit rote. We do the things that we did last year, that we did the year before. We get familiar rhythms uh, with the rhythms of Lent, and sometimes we can miss the broader picture, the deeper picture and so there's a book out that's going to help you with that. It's called A Devotional Journey uh, into the Paschal Mystery, written by Christopher Karstens, who's the director of the Office of Sacred Worship in the Diocese of La Crosse. Uh, a whole host of other things that we'll talk about here in a little while as well. Got a lot of uh, hats on, a lot of things on your plate. Uh, Christopher, thanks for joining us today. You bet. My pleasure to be with you. So on Wednesday, we enter into the season of Lent, with uh, with a stark reminder that we're going to die, <laughs> it's this this <laughs> yeah. memento mori yeah, thing. No, yeah, nothing starting uh, like starting off on a cheery note. Uh, but uh, you're you're right. Um, actually, let's back up a little bit. I think at the entrance antiphon for Ash Wednesday is about God's mercy overlooking our sins. But not too long after that, yeah, we're reminded of our mortality in the event that uh, we had forgotten it or forgotten uh, how messy uh, things can be in life. Yet we're reminded that we're dust, and unto dust we shall return. And so we're du- dust is put on our heads, and even the even the uh, plants that were once alive are reduced to dust, and because we've brought them down too with our sins, and they provide the ashes that go on our heads. And yeah, right out of the gate, we're reminded of uh, this is our this is our I don't know, destiny. See, the good news is it isn't our destiny, but it's uh, it's a place we're going to head to eventually. You know, what's very interesting to me, uh, this is not a holy day of obligation, and yet it's a day that the churches are generally packed. Uh, people who haven't been to church all year long will often come on Ash Wednesday. And I think that mm-hmm. speaks in some way to to really our desire uh, that's innately within us to recognize that this is all temporary and to recognize that, that God has something to offer us in light of the very the temporary nature of our of our bodies. Yeah, I think so too. You know, I, I think more and more people are confused about uh, the meaning of their life, where they've come from, uh, where they're going, uh, how they can find uh, happiness or joy or satisfaction. Um, you know, so life has turned into uh, you know just diversions and uh, distractions, but. Yeah, the, the broader picture about where did I come from, uh, where am I going, and how can I get there in a, in a joyful way is, uh, 
is uh, I, th- I, I think from my, my perspective, it is lost on a lot of people. And what, what Ash Wednesday can do is sort of, I mean, at least for attentive ears and open eyes, can root us and ground us, you know, in some sense, literally, in where we have come from and where we are going and how we are supposed to get there over this uh, Paschal Bridge. So even if this is operating at a rather subliminal sort of way, I think that's maybe what appeals to a lot of people in Ash Wednesday is uh, uh, kind of situates us and gives us direction. So in this first chapter, as you're entering, as we're bringing us along into the Paschal Mystery, uh, this how-to book says how to enter the combat stupendous. This is language the Church uses, but talk a little bit about what, what even is the combat stupendous, what does that mean, and how do we uh, incorporate that into our Lenten observance? Sure. The, the phrase combat stupendous comes from uh, what's called the Easter sequence. Uh, I think it's called the Victime Pascalis, Pascalis Laudem. Laudes, maybe. Uh, and it's uh, a, man, a sequence. Uh, is, there's only, mm, I think, maybe two or three of them that are mandatory throughout the liturgical year. But it's a little poem or a little song or a little hymn of, of praise that takes place on um, particular Sundays right before the gospel is sung. And this sequence is sung uh, on on uh, Easter Sunday, and then is uh, optionally sung for the next uh, for the rest of the octave. And it's from this sequence where we get this line about death and life have fought bitterly, um, and that there's this this great combat, this stupendous combat. And so that's what it's all about: is this battle with death and to the death to to stay alive. And you know, life that's what life is. I mean, we've got it pretty good, most of us here uh, in this part of the world. But in the end, the devil's trying to kill you and me and our families uh, and our world. And uh, he's battling us to the death. So it's a time to enter into this stupendous combat so that uh, we can be, you know, men and women fully alive, uh, become saints and be joyful and living life to the full. So this is, uh, this is the season that uh, ushers us, this is the day that ushers us into the season where we do battle with the devil. Our guest today is Christopher Carstens, who's the author of a new book, A Devotional Journey into the Easter Mystery, available right now on Sophia Institute Press. Recently, we celebrated or, or marked the fifth anniversary of, uh, of the martyrs in Egypt that, that were killed, uh, I think, mm-hmm. by ISIS there. And they're just a very striking picture, some icons that I've seen of them. And a lot of times we look at that and say, you know, I wonder if if I would make that kind of sacrifice, if I could be that kind of of martyr uh, for uh, for the kingdom of God. And yet we're given the opportunity every day to face a death uh, for our faith. And and Lent really gives us a really strong opportunity to do that as we uh, as we enter into some penitential practices, as we pick up some extra devotions. And, mm-hmm. and and so there is this sense of, yes, I'm I'm not necessarily going to f- face someone who's going to force me to make that definite cha- uh, choice, but I have the choice today as I wake up and as I uh, practice my Lenten observance, to decide whether I'm going to de- to die to myself, to uh, to pull on the f- fullness of this mystery that I'm going to die and I to dust I shall return, and yet that Christ overlooks my sins. Uh, and I can take on that martyrdom, as it were, 
putting to death myself and those habits which keep me from being able to really wear the crown of of the saint. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's, uh, I mean, not to make light of uh, martyrdom, but I, there's this little line from a, a Flannery O'Connor uh, short story about this young girl. And she says uh, she thought she could be a martyr if they killed her quickly. And I I suppose I kind of think that too sometimes, and, you know, I get like a paper cut or something and it's like <laughs> the end of the world or something. Well, maybe, maybe I wouldn't make a good martyr no matter how quickly it, uh, it came about. But, you know, in your, in your question, the, the word that I, that stood out to me is practice. Mm-hmm. You know, we talk about it and it's, step back and think about it. It's kind of an odd thing. We talk about practicing the faith or practicing penitential um, or penitential practices and whatnot. And, but I think that's the right word is in some ways there it's practice so that we can, you know, when the time comes, do it to the full. Like, you know, you practice for the, the big basketball game or baseball game or whatever it is. So then when it comes around, you do it well and you do it to the best of your ability. And I suppose, you know, Ash Wednesday and Lent is this time, you know, as you say, to practice our faith and to do penitential practices so that when the time comes, however it comes, you know, we're ready to give ourselves completely and fully, unreservedly over to Christ, which is, um, I suppose that's what it all comes down to, is how much or how little we're able to conform ourselves to Christ. You know, I'm, I'm constantly, what's that other line? We've we found the enemy and the enemy is us. I mean, I'm my own worst enemy uh, very often. And so you got to practice so that... Uh, when the time comes, I'm ready to ready to hand myself over. You know, I find specifically during Lent, it's a little bit more clear that I am my own worst enemy because you you mm-hmm. set up these um, these ideas of what you're going to give up for Lent. It's culturally acceptable to uh, to say, "Oh, I'm going to I'm going to give up chocolate, or I'm going to give up uh, coffee, or whatever the case may be." Something that we think might be a little bit of a trifle and easy to give up. Uh, until such time as we're about three weeks in, and all of a sudden it's like, oh, I I want that thing that I gave up more than I ever have before, mm-hmm. uh, and and it we we give ourselves maybe a little bit of permission. Oh, it'll you know no one's going to notice or no one's going to care uh, if I if I go and have a little bit of that thing that I gave up, and and yet it's there that we see what are our values, what are the things that really matter to us, uh, and. You know, I, I know someone who ended up, uh, as a Protestant, ended up leaving the faith because he didn't understand uh, the reason that we gave things up for Lent. He, he looked at it and uh, was doing it as a non-denominational Christian, and, and for him it was, well, if I'm going to be a good person, I have to, to give this thing up and I have to stick with it, and it didn't make any sense to him. So mm-hmm. in some sense— we have to really understand why it is that we're doing these practices. And then as we practice them, realize that, you know, they don't make us good to do it. And quite the opposite, we realize how much we need grace to be able to to live that out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, the, the ultimate reason why we, why we do those things is uh, because Christ himself you know, put those things aside. When we get to already on the on the first Sunday of Lent, I think in each each of the cycle of the, the readings, it's about Christ's uh, forty days in the desert. And I I, I admit I kind of chuckle every time. One of the I think one or maybe maybe it's all of them. I don't remember. 
says, and at the end of those 40 days, he was hungry. (laughs) (laughs) That's got to be an understatement. But uh, the reason we do it is because life's journey is about conformity to Jesus Christ. And so if he did it uh, in preparation for his saving Paschal work, well, then I'm called to do it in preparation to cooperate in this saving Paschal work. So that, I think, is the, you know, ultimately the main thing. But, you know what, um, it, it's, it's, it's not simply about giving up. It's about setting thing, good things, often good things, aside so that we can focus more intently on giving ourselves over to, uh, over to God. And in some sense, it's about recognizing the importance of our spiritual appetite that we sometimes ignore. Uh, and so by giving up things out of our physical appetites, it can draw attention to the fact that, hey, my, I need to eat, I need food, I need this thing that I want on a regular basis. How much more is that true of the spiritual life? It, it's enti- entirely the case to set aside those things that um, that can uh, hinder us from redirecting ourselves to God. Our guest today is Christopher Karstens, author of the new book, A Devotional Journey into the Easter Mystery, available on Sophia Institute Press. Join the ongoing conversation over on social media, facebook.com slash stepoutsidethewalls. On Twitter, the handle's at Outside the Walls. Come and tell me what you're giving up for Lent and how you expect it to help you grow in your faith this Lenten season. Don't go anywhere. There's much more to come. You're listening to Outside the Walls with T.L. Welcome back to Outside the Walls, where we explore the implications of our belief on our daily life. I'm your host, T.L., and we're talking today with Christopher Karstens. He is many things. Uh, You might have heard his voice on the Liturgy Guys podcast. Uh, If you do a lot of reading, you might have read him uh, and the work that he edits over at the Adoramus Bulletin. Uh, He's also an instructor at Mundelein's Liturgical Institute, and the role that I know him from, he's the director of the Office of Sacred Worship in the Diocese of La Crosse, Wisconsin. Christopher, thank you for joining us again. Sure. Thank you. So you have this new book out uh, on Sophia Institute Press called uh, A Devotional Journey into the Easter Mystery. This is, uh, I'm going to guess, a follow-up. You had another one written a couple of years ago, A Devotional Journey into the Mass, which we talked about here on the show previously. Uh, You can find that in the archives by going to OutsideTheWalls.com, scrolling down till you see the name on the sidebar, Christopher Karstens, and that'll pull up both of the episodes that he has been a part of here. So in this journey, the the journey into the Easter mystery, this Paschal mystery, uh, a lot of times we think of it, and we can define it and say, well, the Paschal mystery is uh, the suffering, death, and resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. Um, but then there's also some conversation about our participation in the Paschal Mystery, and and just even the term Paschal Mystery itself leads us to maybe assume that this is not merely a historical event. There's something mysterious about this, and, and our participation, and it means that there's something present to us about this Paschal Mystery. So let's yeah. maybe unpack this and look at it in its proper context, not merely as a set of historical events, but as an unfolding mystery that we can take part in. Yeah, yeah. You know, the, the, 
the big picture view of what the Paschal mystery is, you know, begins with the creation of the cosmos and then uh, how God had, you know, wanted all of his creation to be directed back to him. Everything came from him and everything was meant to return to him. Uh, the problem is, is that we decided we wanted to get there our own way. And so we went off the rails. We took a detour and we decided we, we went on a tangent. And so what happened is, is a great sort of chasm opened up between fallen earth and glorious heaven. And we were going off on all these detours. But what, uh, what God does, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, he kind of he redirects his creation back on the right track. And he does this principally through the chosen people and the, and the patriarchs um, and the covenants he makes with the chosen people. And he's starting to steer it and redirect it back to himself. But there comes the point where they're almost like where, where earth is face to face with this giant void that needs to be bridged. And this is what the Paschal mystery is, the suffering, death, resurrection, and ascension by which Jesus passes from the fallen world to the heavenly world. And so to build a bridge uh, is, is in Latin what's called a pontifex. So a pons or a pontus, like a little pontoon boat almost, is, is a bridge. And the fex part is kind of the root of factory. So a pontifex is a bridge builder. Well, Jesus comes to, to build this bridge, but it's not just any little bridge. It's the greatest bridge ever, extending from earth to heaven. And so he's called the Pontifex Maximus. And so through his Paschal mystery, he builds this bridge so that members of his mystical body, and in fact, the whole, whole of creation can cross over this bridge and pass over this bridge and this Paschal mystery along with them. But now here's where we come in. Uh, Jesus, you know, being God that he is, didn't, doesn't need our help to do this. But in his plan of this great mystery, he wants it. So what he wants from me and you, Timothy, and our kids and our neighbors is for us to be co-operators and co-workers and co-laborers along with Christ in this bridge building project. And so the question is, well, how are we going to do that? When he did that 2,000 years ago, how are we going to do it today? So what Jesus has done through the church and her sacraments is to make this bridge-building project present and active now before our very eyes, clothed in sacraments, especially baptism and the Eucharist. But not simply that, in this whole sort of tapestry of other sacramental signs and symbols and words and gestures and processions and people and times and places and music and all of the rest. So what this means for us today, how do we participate in this Paschal mystery, is that when we join in these Easter liturgies, especially, I mean, any liturgy, this is the case, but especially uh, at the Mass of the Lord's Supper on Holy Thursday, and then the Good Friday Liturgy, and then the Easter Vigil uh, on Holy Saturday evening. The reality, you know, behind all of these signs and symbols is this bridge going to heaven. And we're able to help build that bridge and participate in building that bridge through these sacramental means. As I say, especially baptism and confirmation in the Eucharist, but even like that awesome procession into the church at the Easter Vigil. These are all sacramental occasions for us to help build and pass over to the other side. We're talking today with Christopher Karstens, who has a new book out, A Devotional Journey into the Easter Mystery. 
available right now on Sophia Institute Press. The other, as we mentioned earlier, the other book that you wrote is this devotional journey into the Mass and being able to look at all of these Masses as this participation in the Paschal Mystery. Um, we often look at this time of year, specifically as we approach Holy Week, as, oh, there's lots of extra stuff going on at the church, and, you know, I'm going to—I'll go on Easter Sunday, maybe I'll go on Thursday, um, but we don't very often— look at the Triduum, this this Holy Week liturgy of Thursday, Friday, and Saturday as really a, a cohesive whole and something that really needs our participation to be there. It's that, that extra thing for those people who are coming into the church. They can go and participate with it. I did it once, and I'm good. Um, talk a little bit about why it is that the church has these special liturgies and why it's important for us to be present and participating in them. Yeah, well, how the how the church uses time is that each day is kind of anchored in the celebration of the mass, and each which is the representation of the paschal mystery, mm-hmm. and then each week is uh, begins with Sunday and kind of rotates around Sunday. That's the uh, the special representation of the paschal mystery. Uh, but you know the thing about Sunday though, it's like it's too big to fit into twenty four hours. So that's why it begins the night before. Those 24 hours doesn't cut it. We need, we need 36 hours to do this. And then each year is centered around uh, the Triduum, which is, and that anchors the whole liturgical year. And sort of like how Sunday uh, doesn't fit into 24 hours, it's like the annual observance of the Paschal Mystery also doesn't fit into a day or two days, but it takes three whole days to kind of get the mystery across through this tapestry of signs and symbols. So that's why the church takes from the Mass of the Lord's Supper through Good Friday and Holy Saturday, and the Triduum ends then on uh, Easter Sunday evening. You know, it's just the mystery is so, I mean, all these mysteries are infinite, and they'll always remain beyond our finite expressions. But one of the ways we can try to express this uh, is through these these three liturgies. So you know, it's important that we try to plug into each of them because they are our occasions to pass over along with Christ. Um, you know, they, they, the church, the fathers, whatever, however you want to say it, you know, the, the best way to conform oneself to the Paschal mystery of Jesus is to be a martyr. There's no, there's no higher way to, to gain that conformity with Christ. The next best way is through the liturgy, uh, especially through the Eucharist. And so this is really, a, you know, a God-given gift for all of us, whether you're about to be newly baptized or you're recalling your baptism, to conform yourself to Christ. And, you know, that's the name of the game, and that's why that's how one becomes joyful and beautiful and radiant and life finds meaning and gives, uh, helps to give uh, meaning to other people as well. So that's why they're so important to, to do the best that we can to, to be present at them. Now, here's something that I think um, we often maybe have trouble understanding. We talk about the participation in the Paschal Mystery being done through the liturgy. Uh, the, the Church in the Vatican II documents has encouraged active participation in the Mass, 
Um, but a lot of times we look at it and say, well, you know, I, I sing the songs and I, I stand up when I'm supposed to stand up and I, I say the responses when they're there. But, you know, I'm not I'm not an altar server. I, I'm not an usher. I don't really I'm not in the choir. How do I actively participate? And of course, the church has a very different picture of what active participation is than merely having a role uh, in, in the uh, a speaking role, as it were, in the liturgy. So maybe in these last couple of minutes, unpack for us, what does it look like for us to actively participate in the liturgy as a part of our participation in the Paschal Mystery? Sure. The, the, the principal way by which we actively participate is giving our hearts and souls and whole selves and uniting them uh, with Christ through, this, through the signs and symbols of the liturgy. So we participate through sacraments and sacramental signs. So that means that, um, say, let's say you're at the Easter Vigil, that you're there in the darkness and kind of engaging the darkness. And, but then this fire comes from the midst of the darkness and you see it and you feel it, right? So all these things are seeing, feeling, hearing, tasting, touching. You're cold, right? You follow the, the Paschal candle into the church. Uh, the church becomes illumined. You listen to the great poetry of the exultet. Um, you hear the bells at the glory, all of this uh, leading up to the fullest participation, which is in the Eucharist. But again, this, what this means is our participation is through our senses, uh, engaging in the sacramental signs. Now, Timothy, I don't know if you've done this or maybe people who are listening. You know, let's say you get tagged with having to sing the exultet, right? Now, ostensibly, you are very uh, actively involved, but I know that when I've had to sing the Exalted before, I'm more concerned about having to sing the Exalted than paying attention to what's going on in the entrance procession and the blessing of the candle and the fire and all of the rest. So just because one has a ministerial role doesn't necessarily facilitate a more active participation. In fact, it can be a distraction to that because... You find yourself worrying about when am I supposed to go up there? What what's the note that I start on? How did that uh, uh, end sound? You know, how do I pronounce that name? Mm-hmm. So our participation is through our senses. So I'd encourage everybody just to be so very attentive to the beautiful images that the church gives us in the Triduum. Well, and in a great sense, not to take anything for granted, not to say, "Oh, I've seen this before. I know what's coming next," but actually to be. Uh, actively engage and engaging our minds and really spending the energy to pay attention because that, that takes really a lot of work, not only to say, Oh, I hear what they're saying, but I'm actually engaged with and in putting my attention on what is being said and leaving room for the Holy spirit to speak to me through those things. Yeah. Yeah. Amen. Our guest today has been Christopher Karstens, who's got the new book out, A Devotional Journey into the Easter Mystery. This would be a great book for you to use as devotional material for this uh, Lenten season. I strongly encourage you to go out and pick up a copy and read through it all throughout this Lent. Come be a part of the ongoing conversation on social media, facebook.com slash step outside the walls. On Twitter, the handle's at outside the walls. Come and talk to me about what you are giving up for Lent what practices you're picking up to help you grow in your faith. And when we come back, we're going to have a reading from Scripture and Church History. There's much more to come right after this. You're listening to Outside the Walls with T.L.
Welcome back to Outside the Walls, where we explore the implications of our belief on our daily life. I'm your host, T.L. Today, we had the pleasure of talking with Christopher Karstens, who is the director of the Office of Sacred Worship in the Diocese of La Crosse, Wisconsin. He's got a brand new book out called A Devotional Journey into the Easter Mystery, available on Sophia Institute Press. I encourage you to take a look at it. Make this your Lenten reading. If you missed any part of the show or you want to share it with your friends, have no fear. All of our episodes are archived over at OutsideTheWalls.com. And while you're there, uh, you may be interested in knowing that there is an extra segment available to all those who support the show through Patreon. We do that each and every week. I uh, like to give a couple of extra questions with our guests to those who keep us on the air. We have a great support community, and if you would like to be a part of that, just go to OutsideTheWalls.com, and up in the top right-hand corner of the page, you'll see something that says, Support the Show, hyphen, Patreon. And behind that link, you can find all the information about that support community, the various levels of support, and the various rewards that our supporters get. In fact, in the next couple of weeks, I'm going to be giving away a couple of books there in that Patreon community. I'd love to have you come over and take a look and see about joining their numbers. Well, let's go ahead and turn our attention now to our reading from Scripture and from church history. Our reading from Scripture today comes from the Gospel of Mark. Jesus summoned the crowd with his disciples and said to them, Whoever wishes to come after me must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and that of the gospel will save it. What profit is there for one to gain the whole world and forfeit his life? What could one give in exchange for his life? Whoever is ashamed of me and of my words in this faithless and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of when he comes in his Father's glory with the holy angels. And he also said to them, Amen, I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see that the kingdom of God has come in power. That reading comes from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 8. And something in there reminds me of a conversation I had this last week at my parish as we're going through a study on the theology of the body. And this, this concept that we are made for God and we're made with a desire that can only be filled by the infinite. We're made for a with a desire for the infinite good. And one of the questions that, as we were talking about it, uh, we said, well, why is it so hard for us to, um, to trust and to trust in God and to fully lay ourselves in his care? And one of the reasons that we talked about in this group was the study. I'm sure you've seen it with the, the children and the marshmallow. And they say to the kid, you can have this marshmallow now, but, but if you wait, you get to have two marshmallows when I get back. And then they go out of the room and it's like 10 minutes and, you know, some of the kids have great willpower and they want those two marshmallows and the other ones are like, you know what, I'm just going to eat the marshmallow I've got now. And really, this is a great picture of our human existence. One of the reasons we have such a hard time uh, knowing that we have a desire for the infinite, knowing that we have a desire for God and that he desires to give us good things 
is the fear that he's not going to come back in a timely manner, that he's not going to provide for our needs in a timely manner. And so here we have a chance to practice our self-control, to practice the stretching of our, our hunger over these 40 days, to realize that the thing that we are longing for, the presence of God, uh, the divine nature that we get to share in, this is something that is worth waiting for. And it may feel interminable as we sit here thinking, well, eventually God's going to show up. Eventually God's going to provide for my need. Eventually that bill's going to get paid. Eventually whatever it is that we're worried about. But in the meantime, we just sweat bullets wondering whether or not God's really going to show up. And the truth is this, what, what does it profit us to gain the whole world, but forfeit our life? What could we give in exchange for our life? So it is worth it. Even if it means the very loss of our life, it is worth it to follow Christ. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and for that of the gospel will save it. Our reading from church history today comes from the tractates on the first letter of John, by St. Augustine. We have been promised that we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. By these words, the tongue has done its best. Now we must apply the meditation of the heart. Although they are the words of St. John, what are they in comparison with the divine reality? And how can we, so greatly inferior to John and Merit, add anything of our own. Yet we have received, as John has told us, an anointing by the Holy One, which teaches us inwardly more than our tongue can speak. Let us turn to this source of knowledge, and because at present you cannot see, make it your business to desire the divine vision. The entire life of a good Christian is in fact an exercise of holy desire. You do not yet see what you long for, but the very act of desiring prepares you so that when he comes, you may see and be utterly satisfied. Suppose you are going to fill some holder or container, and you know you will be given a large amount. Then you set about stretching your sack or wineskin or whatever it is. Why? Because you know the quantity you will have to put in it, and your eyes tell you there is not enough room. By stretching it, therefore, you increase the capacity of the sack. And this is how God deals with us. Simply by making us wait, he increases our desire, which in turn enlarges the capacity of our soul, making it able to receive what is to be given to us. So, my brethren, let us continue to desire, for we shall be filled. Take note of St. Paul stretching, as it were, his ability to receive what is to come when he says, Not that I have already obtained this, or am made perfect. Brethren, I do not consider that I have already obtained it. We might ask him, If you have not yet obtained it, what are you doing in this life? This one thing I do, answers Paul forgetting what lies behind 
and stretching forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the prize to which I am called in the life above. Not only did Paul say he stretched forward, but he also declared that he pressed on toward a chosen goal. He realized, in fact, that he was still short of receiving what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man conceived. Such is our Christian life. By desiring heaven, we exercise the powers of our soul. Now, this exercise will be effective only to the extent that we free ourselves from desires leading to infatuation with this world. Let me return to the example I've already used of filling an empty container. God means to fill each of you with what is good. So cast out what is bad. If he wishes to fill you with honey and you are full of sour wine, where is the honey to go? The vessel must be emptied of its contents and then be cleansed. Yes, it must be cleansed even if you have to work hard and scour it. It must be made fit for the new thing, whatever it may be. We may go on speaking figuratively of honey, gold, or wine, but whatever we say, we cannot express the reality we are to receive. The name of that reality is God. But who will claim that in one syllable we utter the full expanse of our heart's desire? Therefore, whatever we say is necessarily less than the full truth. We must extend ourselves toward the measure of Christ, so that when he comes, he may fill us with his presence. Then we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. That reading comes from St. Augustine from the Tractates on the First Letter by St. John. And friends, this, this right here is what our Lenten observance is all about. It's not white-knuckling it so that we can say we did it. It's not self-help so that somehow we end up better than we were before. It's not a New Year's resolution. It's the cleaning of our vessel. It's taking out everything that it used to hold so that it can hold something of infinitely more value. It's why we fast. We cleanse ourselves from the things that we have used to satisfy our hungers so that with a cleansed palate, we will be ready to receive that which will ultimately, finally, and completely satisfy us. So I encourage you, as you think about what is it that I'm going to give up this Lent, don't think about something that's just going to be super difficult for you just for the sake of being super difficult. Rather, look around the room and say, I am longing to receive Christ. What is getting in my way? And choose that thing and give it up this Lent. That's all the time we have for today's show. Today's show was brought to you by Richard Jones and all of those who support the show through Patreon. Go to Outside the Walls, click the Patreon link, and join their numbers. Be a part of the ongoing conversation at facebook.com slash step outside the walls. On Twitter, the handle's at outside the walls. And until next week, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. <laughs>